We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Kevin Harlan from CBS Sports. It is week two, and the Buffalo Bills are tied for the lead in the AFC East. Cheers, Chris. It's party time. Cheers. And I must, we, I'm going to just say, I'm just going to, you drink that, I will just say this to our listeners. We've been doing this show since January 2016 in this apartment. This is the first time. Drew's wife dropped him off. I have no idea what's going to happen the rest of the show, the evening, but you people get ready. Oh, folks, if last week was a Rick James celebration, this week we're partying like it's 1999. Woo, get your raspberry berets. <laughs> oh, what a week, Chris. What a weekend. I mean, first of all, shout out to the guys over at Rock Sports Network for hooking us up. And mind you, may I say, segue. Thank you, Chris, for this Omegang Brute IPA. It's a dry, sparkling IPA. It's like champagne, but better. Champagne and beers. It's like champagne, but manly. I like this. We, we need to do more of this. Oh, yes, thank you to the guys from Rock Sports Network. They hosted us over at Batavia Downs for the kickoff the, of the NFL season on Sunday, and it was a blast. I had a great time. A lot of our listeners came out. My father-in-law came out and somehow managed to help... Rope me in a little bit, which Chris, as you all of all people know, is difficult to do. 
No, I don't even try to rope you in. I just <laughs> let you go. It was a lot of fun hanging out with Dicey and Ryan and Dan and all the other guys, just shooting the shit about the AFC, about the AFC East. Um, and it, honestly, it was a special opportunity for me to get to sit next to Thurman Thomas and pick the guy's brain about the state of the current running back market. The fact that Frank Gore is playing right now a year older than Thurman was when he retired. I mean, just all some great conversation. Chris, it was really the opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, yeah. It was great. Yeah, when we got asked to, to be there for it, you mean, said, yeah, you really can't pass that up. If Thurman's going to be there and you got a chance to at least ask him one question, you know, good for good for you. No, it, it was fun. And you guys can find, if you guys want to catch up on any of the conversation we had or any of our interviews with Thurman, you can go find it all over at Rock Sport Net- Sports Network's Facebook page. We're going to throw a link in the description of tonight's show. Chris, what was your favorite moment of Sunday? Oh, I'll tell you, you weren't even there for it. You, nobody saw this. Nobody saw this. I was at the bar getting a drink, and I just, I like, turned to my right, made, like, eye contact with this dude, you know, like, because he's obviously watching the game, too, and I just, like, nodded, like, you know, hey, what's going on? And he goes, oh, hey, you know who you look like? And without missing a beat, I went, Bronson Pinchot, Balky Bartakamoose, Perfect Strangers, and he went, no, no, I go, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, and I go, he goes, no, no, I go, well, I'm out. Those are the only two celebrities that I get question about it. he goes no nah, man you look like baker mayfield <laughs> folks i do not dr- look like baker mayfield people were drinking pretty hard at this thing chris has been told that he looks like a lot of things baker mayfield will never be one of them jesus i think i had to th- say my favorite moment of the entire day short of when the bills scored the go-ahead touchdown and even a part of from when the clock hit zero I don't remember what point it was during the second half. But so you got a picture. We're in 34 Rush, Thurman Thomas's sports bar at Batavia Downs, and they have all these tables set up. And Thurman and his people are all sitting at one table. You know, Ryan and the other guys are sitting at another table. And my father-in-law, my wife, and our friends and the people who showed up, we're all watching it kind of over near the bar area. And at one point... I don't even remember what it was because at that point, Chris, I'd had enough to drink and I was just incensed enough at the fact that we were, this is after we were losing 16 to nothing. If I had to, if I had to guess, it was what you heard in the intro to start the Singletary 23 yard run. Cause you I probably, yelled, I yelled the, the explosion that came out of me scared Thurman Thomas from 25 feet away. He turned yeah. his head whipped around. He's like, fuck was it? What what was that? Security. What's happening here? That was probably one of my favorite moments of the entire day. Oh, man. The Bills, they really know how to do it to you, don't they? (laughs) A win is a win, though, but, you know. A win might be a win, but that doesn't mean that it's not both mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausting. I mean, that's what the Bills do to you. (laughs) I got to tell you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. The Sunday's game really took it out of me. And so it's with that that we had to reach out to a ringer to come in studio with us tonight and try to just recap what exactly went on on Sunday. I'm pumped. This is the first time we've, we've, we've had a legit member of the media here. Yeah, that's right, Nate Geary. A legitimate member of the media in studio with us. Matt Perino, how are you doing tonight, sir? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. And I have to say that um, I got to put up for Nate Geary a little bit. Now that he's hosting the pregame and postgame show officially, uh, I think he kind of is a member of the media. 
He he roots for the Browns. He thinks Baker Mayfield is going to finish second in MVP voting. Yeah, that uh, that that's trouble. If that doesn't so. get your credentials revoked, I don't know what does. All right, folks. For those of you who may not know, Mr. Perino, first of all, Buffalo guy, from Buffalo, born and raised, cut his teeth here, working here in the local sports media market. UB alum, went to ECC. Yeah, you got a lot of ties to this area to begin with, right out of the gate. Yep. Then he goes on to be, he's now the former UFC director of digital media. Before we go any further into football, I want to know a little bit more about this. I mean, what what is that job like? Well, my first week there, my boss, who was the vice president of technology, had an idea. We should start like a weekly column with Dana White. And so every week I was going to go in his office Fresh off, you know, I was maybe two years out of school. Like, this job came up, and the UFC was kind of still building, and their digital uh, deal wasn't really as far along as it is now. So they kind of were looking at me to kind of set the agenda a little bit, and this was an idea he had. So then he was like, you're going to get Dana for 15 to 20 minutes every week. Good luck. And so I'm walking into this guy's office, the OG of mixed martial <laughs> arts, the creator, the godfather, and he's kind of like, all right, kid, what do you got? And I got to say, in my five years there, I've left with an, a phenomenal relationship with him. He's, he's somebody that I, um, you know, I kind of shill for a little bit just because I know how hard he worked to build that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, um, it was a crazy experience. I traveled the world. Um, I really grew as a professional. And obviously, I had my, my son out there and uh, eventually my daughter right before we moved back. So kind of became a man out there. A That's what bit, I was you know? going to say. You, you left, and then you grew into this media professional, and now you're back here in Buffalo. Now, with your time, I mean, if you go to your LinkedIn page right now, there's a photo of you interviewing Conor McGregor. Now, that there, there's experiences like that. I guess I want to pick your brain about I've got two questions. First of all, your most memorable interview with your time during the UFC, and two... Is there a difference between interviewing football players and interviewing people who kick other people's heads in for a living? Big difference. <laughs> Big difference, actually. People ask, ask me this a lot, like at parties and stuff like that. Football players are trained from the moment they get to college, because I covered UB, which is a mid-major level. And we're not even talking about like big-time college sports, mm-hmm. but they're trained from you know probably even earlier than that to speak from a team mentality always. You know what I mean? So you're getting a lot of the cliches and the, um, you know, the repeated phrases. In MMA, all these guys Mm. are out for themselves. Like the the team is that fighter. So when they're talking about anything that has to do with them and their fights and whatever, their brand is at stake. So you're going to get real. You know what I mean? And I feel like sometimes, you know, you don't get that all the time with football players. (laughs) No, no, you don't. I mean, hell, that's the reason we started doing post-game press conferences. It's because somebody has to answer some of the questions. But to your point, it is. Uh, you are you're very, in a very isolated place as a UFC fighter. Because when the cage door closes, there's no you have a corner who can yell things to you, but there's nobody who can help you. Exactly. It's you. It's you and one other guy, so you are the team. I can completely understand that. So it has to be a little bit easier talking to these guys. Now that you're here, you're back in Buffalo, you're working for New York Upstate, you're a credentialed member of the media, you're traveling with the team, you're in the locker rooms. What is that like? 
just as far as growing up here in Buffalo and now you're working on this side of things? So I, it's definitely cool, and I and I have to remind myself to you know pinch myself a little bit at times because you get so into the grind of it that you don't really pay attention to that as much uh, because it is a job. Like people ask me all the time, you grew up a Bills fan, this has got to be amazing. I got to be honest, like when you get into this role, that kind of dies a little bit, oh. if not all of it, you know, because you can't. Number one, you have to have somebody was saying this the other day to me. Like uh, somebody's calling me a fanboy. <laughs> And I don't, I don't, I don't hold people accountable because I didn't ask Sean McDermott about Mitch Morse's concussion a couple months ago. Uh, which, by the way, we did ask him five times, and guess what response he gave each and every time? He's not gonna tell you guys shit. Exactly. <laughs> he has a built-in piece of the collective bargaining agreement that allows him not to talk about that. Yep. So newsflash. Why would we waste our time on that? I'm trying to cover this team and tell you guys stories. Wow, you got me fired up already. We just <laughs> started this thing and I'm fired up. But, oh, I love it. So, no, but to your point, no, it's, it's very cool. I think like the post-game locker room is a much different environment than the one we get to go into all week long before practice because the game just happened. So I, managing that, that's like almost like – the best way I can explain it is the post-game locker room is like a um, – did you ever see Supermarket Sweep? Did yeah. Did you ever see that show back in the day, way back? Oh, where yeah. Where they press the button, you have two minutes to go and get as much stuff as you can get. That's what the post-game locker room Listen, is. Listen. People are showering. People are going. They're talking to coaches. They're talking to players. Now I can speak to this. Well, I, I, I had I, media credentials for training camp. Mm-hmm. To, uh, your first year, 2018, was the year that I had credentials. It was, uh, no, 2017, I believe it was. Yeah, 2017. 2017. Okay. So... I, I got to see what goes on on the other side of this and how things are structured and how quickly things happen and how quickly you can miss the boat. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it, was a, it was a very enlightening experience. I did get to interview Kyle Williams, which was a great thing for me personally. But then kind of through that process of being at training camp from the other side of things a few times, as a fan, I'm never going to be able to kill that part of it enough that I could enjoy doing things from your perspective. From the perspective of, I have to get in here and get as much as I can. Boom, 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 because that's the job. I couldn't get, I couldn't wrap my head around that. I couldn't reconcile it with myself. You know, yeah. I, and there's also a big portion of the fan base that doesn't understand the differences in job, in job titles. You could take a guy like Jerry Sullivan, or a guy like Mark Harrington, or uh, even Mark Gaughan to a degree at times. They've held columnist roles. I'm not a columnist. I'm a beat writer. So mm-hmm. what I'm doing, my job, my goal is a little bit different. Now, I do wear many hats because it is just me and Ryan Talbot there. Mm-hmm. Ryan's doing a lot of um, – he does a lot of more like social aggregation and mm-hmm. um, you know weekly coverage. I'm more in the, in the room, in the, on the beat. So I just have a different responsibility. And I think fans expect a bigger kind of wider brush to be used when I'm painting. Oh, no, sense. absolutely. And the thing is, you have a job to do. There's a reason why your position exists, and there's a reason our position exists. <laughs> and that's to just provide this kind of coverage, which you call it what you want, you give it whatever value you want, but I enjoy it, and apparently other people do too. I'm, um, you know, there's definitely, I think, a, a faction or a, a group in the in the mainstream media that is like anti-blogger, anti like. Fan podcast. Of course. Why wouldn't there be? That's not me. I I (laughs) I appreciate it, sir. You know why? Because my demographic is 
the fan base, including you guys. Like, I want to be a part of the conversation. I want to, I want to, you know, that that back and forth discourse is so important. I think one cool thing in the Buffalo media, I haven't noticed a ton of people that aren't willing to engage in that. You know, you, you look at some of the big guys like Joe Viscalia, Sal uh, Capaccio, Tim Graham. They're very interactive on social media. That's not like that in every market, and that's definitely not like that from where I come from in terms of UFC media. There's some that are good at it. There's some that aren't. And so I think that we're all kind of – we all care about this one thing so much. Let's talk about it. You <laughs> exactly. Know? But at the same time, Twitter's a scary place like we were talking about. Before. Oh, Twitter's the worst. Yeah, <sighs> plus, plus I think you – you know, we asked you to come on, you know. Yeah, I figured you should say yeah. I was here I, for I gotta, the bag I gotta when get, I came up with yeah. the idea. I'm like this yeah. Perino guy. Let's yeah. reach out Let's to him. Perino. Why? Because get Perino I'm, on, and you know, you say I'm watching yes, you, your video. You want to get your name out. I'm watching. I'm watching this video on YouTube, and I think to myself, you know what? This seems like a good idea. This might work. All right, and yeah. here you are, and we're about to launch into a discussion of Week One of the Buffalo Bills season. I mean, it, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, anybody listening, that's that's a podcaster. I think I've done the full gamut at this point. I think I've done cover one. Uh, I've done, I think, pretty much every fan produced. Buffalo Fanatics does one. Bills Mafia, I think, has one. I like it. But we're the one. That, <laughs> but we're the one that's produced the best. I mean, here we go. This setup. Is... Well, I will say, I will, I will give you guys the shout out. I walked in here and I, I felt like I was at ground zero. I mean, this was impressive stuff. They got a soundboard over here, a laptop. Uh, he's got an iPad or some type of tablet that's yep. that's doing these the, hot keys there you go oh this is this is professional i well, gotta say i'll tell you this i appreciate the kind words if we aren't the best bills podcast we're certainly the hardest drinking so with <laughs> that i want to launch into the because like i said i'm I, this game wore me out let's get into week one buffalo bills they're one and up they're on top of the tied for the lead in the afc east i mean to hell with new england <laughs> it's all about us today Week one recap, the Bills pull it off, Bills 17, Jets 16. My stats of the game, Josh Allen, 24-37, good for 64.8%. 254 yards, one touchdown pass, one touchdown rush, four total turnovers. Sam Darnold, 28-41, 68%, 175, and a touch. Josh Allen in the fourth quarter, 8-10, of 105, a touch and a rushing touchdown. Sam Darnold in the fourth quarter, not counting the ladder, the, the ridiculous lateral attempt. Seven of thirteen for thirty yards. The average yards per pass play: Buffalo six point four, New York three point four. Team rushing yards: Buffalo one hundred and twenty-eight, the New York Jets sixty-eight. The Bills' defensive line: three point five sacks. Five quarterback hits, 11 tackles, three tackles for a loss, five batted passes, and just three penalties for 25 yards. Adam Gase, three and four all time against Buffalo. This is the sixth time in seven games against Buffalo that his offense has been held to fewer than 250 yards passing. Now, Matt, that's where I want to start with you here. Dominant defensive performance by this team this week. To me, it was tackling and the defensive line. On that side of the ball, those were the keys to victory there. We talked last week and earlier this preseason with a guy we had had on the show, Joe Caparoso from Turn on the Jets, and we discussed the fact that when you look at what Adam Gase's offense is, he lives for these short throws between the hashes. He likes to throw to the hashes and the numbers and make you tackle. 
His offense is just predicated on generating yards after the catch. That's it. And he uses that to hopefully set up the deep shots downfield. And we saw a lot of that play out on Sunday. It just didn't work. And if you look at his tenure as a head coach in the NFL, it hasn't ever seemed to work against Buffalo, but it works often enough that he still thinks it's a viable offense to run. Now, from your perspective, based on your research and the things that you've done, what did you think about the way our defense approached this game? I think that the number one talking point heading into this game was from a defensive perspective, is what is this pass rush going to look like with Ed Oliver now in the middle? And I think that you see, watching it live, watching it back, you see a very raw player in Ed Oliver still, and, and he's still making an impact immediately. And I think that you know that's so important because I've maintained throughout this whole process since they drafted him, his draft, the, the Bills drafting him is more about what he, more than about what he brings. It's about what he means for those around him. Not just Jerry Hughes, not just Trent Murphy, but Tremaine Edmonds. When you're kind of causing that kind of chaos from the interior, just imagine what kind of impact that has on a middle linebacker that you know has the type of upside of a Tremaine Edmonds. It almost, oh. it almost frees him up to a completely different level. Well, to your point, this is one of the things that stood out to me all day. For the first time, I kept looking at my father-in-law going, holy shit, what is this defensive line? Not so much because of Ed Oliver, by himself, to your point. But for the first time, I noticed Trent Murphy on a football field during a professional football game. I noticed him out there. You saw Shaq Lawson start to make plays. Jerry Hughes in what, had the- 22 snaps? Jerry like, he was Hughes, barely on the field. Yes, he was barely on the field, but when he was out there, his presence, it was felt. Exactly. And you look at Jerry Hughes, Jerry Hughes had one of the best games that he's had in almost two years. I mean, to, to bring it back, Hughes had one and a half sacks, two quarterback hits, a tackle for a loss, and two batted passes. And or that, no 15-yard no uh, unsportsmanlike calls. And no unsportsmanlike <laughs> calls. Shaq Lawson, a sack, four tackles, a pass defended, and a tackle for a loss. This is a guy who the team didn't pick up his fifth-year option because they weren't sure if he was going to be a viable option for this defense. But with that interior presence, I mean, you saw some of the highlights Anyone who said that Ed Oliver was just going to be a speed rusher, did you see him forklift Kalecio Semele <laughs> during that fourth quarter when all of a sudden the Jets are forced to try to play catch-up? He literally just picked him up and forklifted him back into Sam Darnold's lap. <laughs> there was another play. I've seen pics of, pictures of it all over Twitter where he just slaps the shit out of Brian Winters. Brian Winters might as well... I mean, I don't know what he was doing, but he humped into him you pull one hand on his shoulder and just knocked him down to the ground. He pancaked an offensive lineman. <laughs> That's not supposed to happen to a guy who was sold as a quote-unquote undersized defensive tackle. Well, it was Greg Williams. I think it was Greg Williams. I don't want to attribute this because I, I, I did a lot of stuff last week, so I'm not remembering <laughs> exactly who said it. But somebody said, man, it's funny that, that Ed Oliver gets all of this pub for his ability to pass rush. He's equally as viable as a run defender. And, and it's even more impressive because of his size. I mean, he's a guy that get, There's times in camp where I'm watching him get, you know, absolutely dominated by Quentin Spain. And you kind of just mm -hmm. like roll your eyes a little bit like, man, what, what could we be getting ourselves into here? This, yep. There might be some issues here. And then you get in, in a game environment, he's a completely different animal. 
Well, so. you saw spark from him, and I think he's got a swagger to him that I like. He, he strikes me as a gamer because, by all accounts, he's not a talker. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some players who are vocal. There's some players who, I don't know. I, I think that when game time, we saw it on Sunday. When it's game time, he's he's plugged in. I mean, you saw what he put out there before the game, right? Yeah, he said, "Hey, don't, if it's not about football, don't hit me up this year." He yes. tweeted it. He he's wanted intense. the world to know, like he's it's intense, go time. And I like that. And what he did, now you mentioned Tremaine Edmonds. Another thing I'm watching as this played out, and we talked about it last week as one of our keys to victory, was the way that we were going to handle the interior, just the way we were going to handle the way their offense is designed. Mm -hmm. When you look at their playmakers, they did almost nothing. I mean, you got Jameson Crowder. They signed him to be the guy from the slot who was going to generate yards after the catch, Mm right? Right. Sound tackling. Now think about last year, the start to last season. The two, one of my famous stats, one of the things I point to is saying, hey, maybe I'm not all that bad at this statistical review stuff. We got blown out in our first two games last season against the Ravens and the Chargers. Neither one of those teams, I think combined, they had three passes for more than 10 yards through the air. Mm-hmm. The rest of it was dink and dunk and nobody could tackle. And mm-hmm. they carved us up for two straight weeks. So with that, we came into this week, and I said, with this offense that we're going up against, you have to tackle. Mm -hmm. Well, sound tackling held Jamison Crowder to seven yards per reception on 14 catches. Mm -hmm. At no point was he able to get loose and do anything meaningful. And then you look at Bell. Le'Veon Bell is a player who, I mean, he's a freak. One of the better running backs to play this game in the last five, six, seven years. Mm Mm-hmm. Six catches was held under five and a half per catch. And when you look at yards after the catch, Crowder, for all of his all of his yardage, 67 yards after the catch, which means they're short, shallow throws. Bell only had 29. And then you look at the job statistically, Milano, Edmonds, Poyer, those guys. 26 combined tackles, two tackles for a loss, a sack, and three quarterback hits. They dominated the middle of the field because our defensive line made it possible. That's the reason that we won this game, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it. No, I mean, 100%. I think Jordan Poyer was flying around the field. You know, Le'Veon Bell said after the game, when he was asked about what happened, he said, no, I mean, we're just all frustrated right now. The Bills' defense left that entire offense questioning everything, like a frustrated group. When you go up 16 to nothing in the NFL – Going in like late in the third quarter. You expect to win that game. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's there's not a many circumstances where you think it's even plausible no. that a team that just turned the ball over four times, <laughs> you know, in the first half is going to come back on you. But what what happened is is that de- that stifling defensive effort, the sustainability of that effort, I think, in a way, poured over into the offense a little bit, and that's something that this offense wasn't capable of last year was feeling that kind of the weight on their back from the defense having to carry so much of the load and like almost the responsibility that they felt. Mm-hmm. And I think now with all of these new additions, they're, they're able to do more. And, you know, uh, obviously Cole Beasley had a few, uh, few mistakes in this one, a few mistakes. It was not, you know, he was a big part of the, the completion percentage of Josh Allen. Let's not, I understand. let's not discount that, but Two really big mistakes. I mean, if they don't score on that on that drive, 
Cole Beasley's the, the reason why, because he drops that pass. So if they end up going, it, it was right in his hands. I mean, that, that puts him in the red zone. That's, I, that's a massive, massive play. And you don't have to tell me. <laughs> I, I literally, in the middle of the bar at Batavia Downs, lost my mind. I, I was speaking in tongues. I don't even know what I said. I just know that whatever I said scared the hell out of Thurman. It scared my father-in-law. Everyone's looking at me like, this guy's a lunatic. Security. Where are they? Uh, to be fair, I saw a uh, chicken wing video of you on Twitter, <laughs> so they might be correct in that assumption. <laughs> Ultimately, they found a way, right? The team found a way, but it wasn't easy. And I guess that's one of the things I want to pick your brain about because you were there, you were more sober than I was, and you were watching it in far more detail mm-hmm. with less frustration because, like you said, you're not on my just pure fandom side right, of things. Right. The Bills play calling and execution. We're talking literally about a, it's, it's a tale of two halves. If I had a term that I could use to describe the first half for me personally, it would be supreme frustration. That's it. That's all I can say about how I felt after watching that first half of football. I mean, when you look at the things that they did statistically, 11 first downs, 50% on third down. That's not bad. You're con- that, that's a pretty good conversion percentage especially for a Bills offense that isn't known for being good at throwing the ball. But 23 pass attempts in just two rushes, that's bad. What was your level of frustration last year when LaShawn McCoy was banging aimlessly into the back of that really bad offensive line? Let me just add, okay. let's, let's establish a baseline here. Where was, your level, where was your level of frustration with that? Honestly, you can't even ask me because I think I I think I drank I just black most of it out. Okay. Chris, Chris, explain to him what my level of frustration was with last year's football. You were you were pretty mad with us offensively. Do you remember the analogy that I had last year? No. You don't remember the analogy? Oh no! It's it's uh, Sean McDermott and uh, Brandon Bean came to Brian Dable last year, and uh, it, it's like Dable was a chef, and they were like, "Hey, we want you to make chocolate chip cookies," and then. Dable was like, easy enough, give me all the ingredients. And then they hand him a bag of chocolate chips, Josh Allen. All right, here you go. Make me some cookies. Dable's like, I need, I need flour, I need, I need sugar, vanilla extract. And no, no, you just get chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> you don't, we don't have that yet. And then they got all of those things in the offseason. Yeah. Somehow he's able to stay pragmatic about this. Meanwhile, I just empty just a 12-pack. Yeah, I just, just empty a 12-pack in my skull hole. and just get frustrated. Last year, my level of frustration was high. So I guess I to, I can appreciate your point. What they're doing right now from everything that I've watched and kind of let taken in over the course of the last three months is they've built a plausible and potentially good passing offense. With the, with, the, with the group of people that they brought in. They're stretching the legs a little bit, number one. And number two, I think that this is all still very new. You know, we could sit here and say we've had three or four months of this, but Josh Allen and Cole Beasley, they played how many snaps together at this point? John Brown. This offensive line, which has four new pieces, there's going to be a little bit of a period of time it's going to take to figure things out. Now, here's the here's the good thing. You did everything that they did statistically, like you mentioned, off the offensive stats with all of those absolute blunders, which are going to, over the course of the season, I think will fade away a bit. I don't think that you're going to see 
you know, botched uh, handoffs I and I don't know balls that, off coals. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know that you could bobble Chris. If I if I threw a football at you and asked you to trampoline it off your hands directly to Matt in full stride right now for a thousand dollars, do you think you could do it? No, no. That's not the type of shit that happens to most people. But because we're the Bills. That was my tweet. I'm like, and with that, folks, we are officially into the Bills' 2019 season. That's the thing that does it for me. And then they came. Football is back. And then they came back and said, "Hold my beer with that fourth quarter." Ah, well, so here's the thing. So we leave that first half. Supreme frustration. I'm beside myself. We go into a halftime show with the guys from Rock Sports Network. We go around the horn, giving our own. Pro- our own takes on what needed to change about the first half offense into the second half. And then Hall of Famer Thurman Thomas joined us. I want you guys to hear the audio first. You've got to establish the run because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. You're going to continue trying to throw these three, four, five-yard patterns. You're playing to the Jets' strength at this point. If you can establish some kind of a running game, A, you're going to stop seeing these blitzes from the secondary. Yeah, You're not... You're not going to see blitzes from Jamal Adams. Yeah. What I, I think I counted four of them yeah. in that half. You're not going to see blitzing safeties when you're running the football, which is they know as coaches is going to set up play extra pass. Why haven't you run the ball a little bit? <laughs> yes. I mean, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But you need your running game in, in, in this uh, in this particular football game. Frank Gore, Singletary. Well, why'd you get Leonard McCoy? Right, right. You are supposed to run those guys. And are they trying to make it a point of this is going to be our offense throwing with Josh Allen all the time? It's not going to be that way, guys. You have to run the football. No matter what, you have to run the football. There was a couple of instances where I knew they were coming out and said, they're going to run the football. They have to run the football on on the first play. They may see what the Jets defense is not being as good. But you have to run the football, no matter what, to set the tone for the rest of the game. I can't believe I'm saying this. The man across from me that was Drew Gear on the internet, Rock Sports Network Facebook, and being agreed with from Hall of Fame running back Thurman Thomas. Damn straight! When I say run the ball, you can spell that with a W and an A and a bunch of else. Run the ball! <laughs> That's how I felt about it coming out of halftime, and it was so it was incredibly validating to hear that. Somebody who might be biased, I'll admit that. Somebody who might be biased agreed with me. Could there be an argument made that the approach to the first half with the way that they threw the ball and at the pace that they threw the ball was to establish the run, which actually, not to establish the run, to set up the run I heard in the that second from, half. I heard that from Daybowl. I, I didn't see the, like, I just saw the quote. I didn't actually hear him in the media talk. I heard that was... From maybe one of you guys in the Buffalo media, I am willing. Setting, uh, he passing is. to set up the run. I, as somebody that doesn't know football that much, I'd like I, that to me. That's like unheard of. I thought you always <laughs> run the ball to set up the pass. I didn't know you did that. Because but he did. also said something interesting in that same quote. Okay. He said that with the approach of throwing at the rate that they were throwing with and converting the way that they were converting minus the turnovers, it tires out an opposing defensive line. So. All four of those guys have to pin their ears back and rush every single time. Josh Allen in the shotgun. Josh Allen going back to pass. They weren't even running any play action. They were not. They weren't. They weren't trying to fake them out. They weren't <laughs> trying to throw it. Now listen, if if that game go, ends a different way, 
I think that it's got a, a much more um, you got a much more valid point in in terms of your frustration, but I don't think that the, anything about that first half was surprising to me. If you go back and watch that Carolina Panthers game, they didn't want to put anything on film against the Detroit Lions. That <laughs> that that eighteen out of twenty four plays were running plays. That was nonsense. They might have just been chopping McCoy at that point. They might have just been trying to get him some reps and or and Frank Gore as well. Who knows if Brandon Bean wasn't chopping both of them because of what they've seen in Devin Singletary. So, you know, I think that that was an aberration. I think what we saw in that in that game uh, against Carolina with all the passes, it, it, it didn't surprise me. Ultimately, when Singletary got the ball in his hands, it's famous now. Four four rushes, seventy yards. Nine touches for 98 yards, and he is now third all-time for this franchise in terms of rookie production in their first game. That's that's impressive stuff. My eyes popped out of my head in April when Devin Singletary's name was read at the draft because... I flipped, a compu- I flipped my tablet and put my head down in the middle of Rock Sports Network's <laughs> draft show because I, I, I had just got done saying... If the Bills hit a home run with this, if the Bills can just do something solid to shore up the offense, which in my mind was a wide receiver. Right. Or even another offensive lineman. There's a lot of good wide receivers. If you can do one more pick that shores up the offense, I will declare this draft a home run. And when they took a small running back who had had a ton of carries in college, I flipped my computer and put my head down. Was was J.J. Arcega Whiteside still on the board at that point? Okay. No, he had been taken. That's why I didn't. Flip to that degree. Not that I would have anyway, but my reaction wasn't as, you know, crazy because, you know, I respected the philosophy of if you believed in a potential playmaker, go out and get him. That's something that I don't feel like this regime would have done in the past. They would have gone and regimes would have done in the past. They would go out and draft Willis McGahee in the first round, which was absolutely ludicrous <laughs> because, you know, Obviously, you don't draft a running back in the first round unless it's Saquon Barkley, who, by the way, I know we'll talk about this next week. You talk about tackling, they better bring all of their tackling to MetLife Stadium next week because I watched that, that game film against Dallas. Holy well, shit. We're going to talk about this in about, in about 20 to 30, but before we're done there, the story of the game. The story of the game has to be. You want to talk about the defense. You want to talk about how... The offensive play calling changed in the second half, whether it was the injury to Mosley. I mean, I think that's a huge thing that can't go on. It can't be, I don't know how else to say this. It can't be undersold. He was destroying our game plan single-handedly. He was everywhere. And that injury did open things up for our running backs. And I think we smartly keyed on that. Mm -hmm. So to your point, maybe it's just a mix. Maybe it's luck. You know, play calling, we wore their defense out in the first half. Then we run the football in the second half right after their best defensive player goes off the field. And we make hay. And everything works out and it comes out. And we come up roses. Somehow we pull this thing off. It doesn't happen without Josh Allen. And in this, Chris and I have talked about this a lot. We've talked about this with a lot of our Jets guests and fellow podcasters that we have on the show. We're kind of hoping that this Alan Darnold dynamic becomes like Kelly Marino back in the day. Mm-hmm. The first matchup, the first time these two squared off against each other, it was one quarterback starting off hot and one quarterback coming in, some late game heroics, he seals the deal. Now the shoe is on the other foot. 
I mean, it's safe except, to say. Except Sam didn't really start off hot. Well, this is the thing. Okay. Nobody, listen, don't get me wrong. Nobody is voting for either one of these guys for MVP off of this, this game tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one's doing that. But for once, we were the team that stepped it up. We had the quarterback that took the bull by the horns when it was needed. Somebody had to come come through. The running game was getting going, but Josh Allen just, I mean, you wrote a piece talking about how Lorenzo Alexander's quote, and it's one of my favorite things that I took away from this game. Late in the game, they're still down. And Josh Allen is, by all accounts, all smiles on the sideline. And he's like, nah, guys, I got this. I know I have this. And he took that confidence and went out there and scored a rushing touchdown through the game-winning, game-winning touchdown because he knew he could. He just had that level of confidence coming into that, which if you had seen what had happened to him earlier in the game, you would think would be unheard of. The coaching staff, a previous regime, wouldn't have the faith in him that Allen had in himself there in that fourth quarter. So from your standpoint, talking to the players and just what you saw what was Allen down the stretch there? What 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 did, what did we just watch? I think that well, first of all, thank you for reading my my story. <laughs> NYUpSyracuse.com, all, all all the stories all the time. Make sure you, you head over there. Cheap plug, sorry. But <laughs> no, I I also put up a story um, yesterday, or maybe it was this morning. I can't remember. I listen to Michael Lombardi's podcast, The GM Shuffle, religiously. I just think he's kind of a bright guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I like to hear his thoughts on the Bills, which he, he actually does talk more about the Bills than, than most national guys. Uh, Bill Barnwell also put out a nice little piece. Well, that's what I was going to say. Barnwell well. pointed to some, some things. The four turnovers, which could have been more. I mean, if we want to be pragmatic about this, the four turnovers could have been six, mm-hmm. maybe even seven, if, yeah. if a couple things don't go right. There's some evidence of over-aggressiveness on his part. I mean, he's got that gunslinger mentality. He thinks he can make every play anytime. Throwing some passes that required a little more touch than maybe he was willing to put on the ball. And then there were some times he just missed guys. Mm-hmm. Missed guys open and settled for either running the ball or took a check down when there was a guy who he could have thrown open mm-hmm. and instead opted for the safe play, quote-unquote, of just scrambling. So with that said, there was a there was some stuff there down the stretch. That's what we're looking for in a franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, that fourth quarter, what, we read the stats at the start of this whole segment. It doesn't get more stark in contrast compared to Sam Darnold than that. Mm-hmm. One guy throws for seven, oh, 30 yards, seven completions, 50% completion percentage, and Allen just turns it on mm-hmm. and wins the game. I don't want to say single-handedly because it takes a team. Mm-hmm. In your mind, did you see that coming from Allen? I definitely thought that they were going to throw everything they had at him down the stretch. I didn't think they were going to go out with uh, you know a couple more interceptions in the fourth quarter. I thought that they were going to you know show some resolve, hang in there, probably score a touchdown or two or touchdown on a field goal. I, I don't know if I was expecting that. I don't think anybody was expecting that. I'll be honest with you, I did change my at-the-buzzer story uh, <laughs> at about the six-minute mark when it looked like, oh, wait a second, we might we got, might got something going on here. A couple things. Number one, Michael Lombardi had a great analogy. He said he has a little dog named Bella, real little one, never looks in the mirror because 
She's a little dog, but she's got this huge bark. Like she's going to kill someone, <laughs> but she can't, she can't look in a mirror. She's a dog. She doesn't understand. So she doesn't know who she is, right? So he kind of used that analogy with Josh Allen. When he's going bad like that, he does, he, he's never looked in a mirror. He's, never, he, he's not afraid of what he's not because he has that unbelievable confidence in what he thinks he can be. And I think that that's half the battle, having that you know, ability to flush out. I, I can't remember if it was Jim Kelly or maybe it was John Elway I heard one time say that the most important trait that a quarterback, a good quarterback in the NFL has to have is the ability to forget. Because you are going to make mistakes, a lot of them, in every game. You probably see Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady make five or ten mistakes that you don't ever even really notice because they might just be an incompletion or something that doesn't actually kill the game. But if they were to let that kind of sit on them and weigh on them, it could impact their, their play throughout the game. And I think that's something good to say about Josh Allen. Number two, one of the big things I took away from this game was a 65% completion percentage because that is the narrative that continues to frustrate me as someone who doesn't have really a rooting interest at this point, but I'm sitting here watching this guy play daily, whether it's in practice, uh, in the games, and I'm telling you, this, this perceived inaccuracy narrative isn't really the truth because I think that things happened in games last year, bad wide receivers, a deplorably bad tight ends, an absolute terrible offensive line okay so you're dealing with that as a first year nfl player and you're still making plays and and he had to do a lot of it on his own and i understand that but no i think that what we've seen from the start of training camp to now is enough to if you were on the fence about josh allen if you're a bills fan I think that you've you've seen enough to at least go all in at this point. You think that this is a so the, you personally when you look at this game, you don't see it as okay, this was a fluke. You see this is who he is and this is a stepping stone to something bigger. It says something about that first drive because I felt like the Jets were giving him we were moving the ball and then he has that blunder where he just drops it and he only missed one of his first eight pass attempts. Yeah, that could that fump him fumbling because we were moving the ball up to that point. You know, that could have gotten his head for the rest of the game. Chris, when's the last time when Tyrod Taylor was our quarterback? When Ryan Fitzpatrick was our quarterback? When Trent Edwards was our quarterback? LeBron Hamden. When did any of them make make seven of their first eight? Seven of their first eight passes to start a game without running the football. Yeah. No. And there's evidence to be shown, and I guess that... The pragmatic, I, by pragmatic, I mean sober part of me, goes back and rewatches the game the next day. That's why we do the podcast 48 <laughs> hours after the game ends. You I got some calm time down. to calm down, compose myself, watch the game with a fresh set of eyes. You can see plays that, to my previous bitch about not running the football, that could have been run plays. That you watch Allen, the first thing he does is he checks with the running back. And then he goes to the line, and then he's talking to the wide receivers. This is... You could make the argument he's seeing what he's seeing and just saying, look, I see a pass play here that can be made. I'm taking it. He could have checked out of a lot of the runs that they had designed. Either way, I saw growth from him from where we finished last season. You know, my fear coming into this whole thing was that Josh Allen wasn't going to take that next step. That we weren't going to see anything better from him this year than we got last year. And that last year was his ceiling. Because I'm a Bills fan! I've been bludgeoned into believing that that's the ceiling for all of the quarterbacks who wear our jersey. 
And Sonny, that just wasn't it. And Chris, that's why he's our hero of the week. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. <laughs> Dwight that, K. That was essentially Josh Allen on Sunday. I mean, he came in when the chips were down and he turned the tide of a game. Can you argue with that? No, I cannot. Anyone I, else you would nominate for that type of award? I mean... The defense as a whole? <laughs> yeah, we could give out a group of Yeah, players. and I think that's a great point because I think that Josh Allen's game was a perfect illustration of what's happening with this team as a whole in that you can have a quarterback that might be a little aggressive and make some mistakes because of the defense that you have on the other side of the ball. This team is not – you're not going to be able to pass against this team. I mean, that's – I can't wait till week four because this defense, people don't talk a lot about it, and there was nothing going on, on the offensive side of the ball, so it was kind of ruined. This defense really frustrated Tom Brady last year in both games. Like, they were they were really like uh, – what's it? they broke through because they're the Patriots and they have so much talent, but – it was a real, like that first one when Derek Anderson was playing, remember it was a real low scoring oh, game. Oh, I, I remember. Was like, I was there. Yeah, and it was. Oh, I chased Tom Chris out of his frustrated. Seat. Tom looked frustrated. This is a I better defense. I look frustrated. I can tell right now you're always frustrated, okay? <laughs> I'm glad, you know what? Your poor Cheers. wife. Cheers. I'm glad you can appreciate that after only having been in here for about a half hour with us. Oh, and so we hate to do it, but every week we got to name a zero of the week. And I hate to do it this week because I feel like he didn't – he earned it, but it's not his fault. Right tackle Cody Ford. Wow, you suck at this. Wow. <laughs> Cody, listen, brother, I don't hate you. I don't hate the job you did. But it is absolutely worth noting, when you look at the percentage of snaps taken at the, on the offensive line, there's only one person who didn't play 100% of the snaps, and that's right tackle Cody Ford. They put Feliciano in as a guard. next, And I think he earned it with his play in relief of Mitch Morse at center. The aggressiveness that he plays with, he earned that starting guard job. They put Cody Ford out there at right tackle, and then in the fourth quarter, they pulled him. I, I think that in a perfect world... They'd like Cody Ford to be their right guard right now because of what they think of Ty and Saki. The problem is, John Feliciano sets the tone for that offensive line. He's a mauler! He's a mauler. The dude is a fist fighter. It's incredible. I, I, I'll, Ooh, sn- I, I'm working on a story on him. Listen, I'm a trench guy. When I watch football, now, Matt, you may not know this, but our listeners of the show, when I watch football, my eyes don't leave. The defensive line, the like the front seven and the pocket, I don't care about cornerbacks, wide receivers. I'm barely watching that. When the ball gets snapped, I want to see this fight in the trenches because to me, that's where football gets won and lost. This guy plays with a level of violence that I haven't seen from a guard in a Bills uniform. I mean, Incognito had it. Last season, we didn't see any of it. Nobody on last year's line had the fight that this kid has. You ready for the the inside scoop? What's that? He, he, he might want to be an MMA fighter when he retires. Ah, that's what I'm talking about. See? I'm working on a story on him right now. And he, um, he loves uh, MMA. He watches the UFC all the time. And he actually has a, a standing invite to go train at American Top Team whenever he wants. But he hasn't gone because he thinks that 
if he goes, that him and Greg Hardy would get into it because they're two dogs. <laughs> and so he, he obviously has a professional football career. But listen, this is this guy's shot. It's a cool story, man. He's taking full advantage of it. He's been a career, a you know, career journeyman backup. backup. I mean, this guy, I mean, has Raiders not been on anybody's radar. Raiders were pissed to lose him. That's how I know. I go, I travel the internet, I look around to see what fans think whenever we acquire a player from another team. Mm-hmm. Fans were pissed from the Raiders that they lost this guy because of that dog mentality. Now, here's the problem. If you're Cody Ford, you can't push Feliciano out of a starting job. So they move you to right tackle. And then as soon as you come out of the game, Ty Inseki comes in and makes a lot of clutch plays down the, down the stretch that helps seal this victory for the Bills. But, but, but I get it. I get the, the portion of the show that we're in. But do you really think it's like a negative that you well, have this abundance? That's what I'm here to abundance. talk to you about. You're the professional. You have an <laughs> abundance all of a sudden of talent on your offensive line, a unit that was the absolute just dog shit part of your roster last year that now you can't – I think Spencer Long – Sneaky had one of the best preseasons of everybody on this offensive line. And he's not going to even sniff the field unless there's two injuries. But that's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's <laughs> yeah. a great thing. So I don't think it's it's so much. Cody Ford, I think that's a lot to ask of this kid. The first day of training camp, Sean McDermott said when everybody asked him, what are you going to do with the Cody Ford? And they said, we see him at right tackle. We're going to work him at right tackle. We don't want to put too much on his plate. Two weeks in, Mitch Morrison, the concussion protocol, you're throwing Cody Ford in the, in the guard reps. And I... And he says all the right things. He's a team guy. I think it was a little bit too much on him. He's a big, aggressive kid who will inevitably be an offensive lineman in the NFL. Of course. It's just right now, Inseki's so much better than you at tackle. And I'm sorry, but for the purposes of... If you want to declare somebody a loser of a game, when you get sent to the bench, that's what does it in my mind. Listen, if you... (laughs) Yeah, I... I would have said you could easily put Cole Beasley in there. Uh, I agree. I, I consider the, hel- the helmet. Listen, catch, I considered it, but we didn't bench him. If he had been, oh my God, Cole Beasley. Yeah, you don't bench somebody that, that makes that pass, kind of money. After that drop is pass, a, I, oh. I wanted him deported. Is this a here's a question? Is it a benching if you come back to the game after you went to the bench? Because it depends if there's an injury. John Brown went to the bench, and Robert Foster came in and took a few reps. He actually had sneaky fifteen reps or snaps. And then came back to the game. Did John Brown get benched? Question. I'm just philosophical here. I'm just throwing it at you. What? what <laughs> I think you're. Oh, my point is, I think you're overreacting to the Cody Ford. Thing. Of course, I'm overreacting. Okay. <laughs> That's what this is. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. As long as we're all on the same page. Week to week to week, it is always an overreaction. But I'm glad you're here to see it and bring a little pragmatism to it. So with that, Chris, we're one to know. We are one to know. We are moving on. It's. <sighs> Chris, we haven't won a, a, st- a week one football game. We won it in 2017. We, we got bombed on last year by the Ravens. The year before that, we got smoked. Not even smoked. We, on the scoreboard, we lost a close game to the Ravens, but if you actually watched the game, you knew we were nowhere in that football game from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see them come out and show some fight. The fight in this team is incredible to me, and I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. But every week, we take a look around the rest of the division to see how everybody else made out. Now, we know that the Jets were losers this week. That's right, losers. For those of you listening from, from, <laughs> from East Rutherford, New Jersey, 
Losers! But what else went on in the division? Well, it starts with Miami. The Ravens won 52-10. When people said that the Dolphins were tanking this year, I feel like a lot of people assumed it would look like the Bills looked last year. You know, hey, we're going to field a team that has a suspect offensive line, but has a pretty solid young defense that's going to learn, and they're going to cut their teeth, and we're going to lose some. We're, we're going to lose some games, but we're also going to win some close ones, and we'll come out the other side with our young kids getting some seasoning. We'll cut a lot of dead weight, and we can go into the next season with a lot of cap space and a lot of draft picks. No one could have predicted the tire fire going. I mean, it's not even a tire fire in South Beach right now. I haven't seen. I, I thought fires this size only broke out on the West Coast. Yeah, this is like uh, Cam Cameron season one one fifteen. <laughs> I don't know how you. I don't know how you lose fifty two to ten to somebody that can't even read a Dr. Seuss book, let, let alone an NFL defense. Oh my God! That's a, wow. Yeah, whistle, but wow. <laughs> Matt, your take on what the hell just happened this weekend in Miami? I wasn't any bit surprised about <laughs> anything that happened in that game. Maybe that Lamar Jackson was as effective as a passer because, you know, I watched that playoff game last year, and that dude, it, that wasn't it for me. Like, with Lamar <laughs> Jackson, like, no! I, I just thought he was, I, I you know, we'll see. I I'm, I, he's got some weapons there now, so it's interesting. I mean, Marquise Marquise Brown's nasty. Like I thought that I thought when I was really because off season in the NFL, you have to really dive into a draft class. So I really watched all of the film on all of those receivers, and I thought Marquise Brown was he's the good, real deal. But did, okay, so what I because I'm petty. I'm yeah. one of the pettier people who exist on the face of the earth, whether you know it or not. I love when something like this happens because I get to get a rake and just go pick through the wreckage of whatever happens. These are some of the juicier stats I kind of just cherry-picked out of my research. Miami averaged 1.75 yards per carry. 1.75 yards per carry between two running backs. I really screwed up because I I drafted (laughs) Kalen Balazs as like that sneaky late-round pick. Uh, Dolphins running backs were going to be it this year. That's bad. Also, question before you continue. Do you guys eat like food on this table, or is this just potting only? I have cooked dinner for, I think, one woman on this table <laughs> where I actually unhooked everything. You unhooked Chris it and brought it back. No, no. Okay. Chris's MO is when women come over and they're like, oh, what is that? He goes, something that will always be more important than you. Yeah. <laughs> women know that this is more important than they are. Do you know how much your listeners love you? <laughs> I mean, they I, know what this means to you yeah. and what it brings to yeah. them. I hear it from. I hear about it from his boss. So, so <laughs> my, to pick up where I left off, Miami two quarterbacks with less than a sixty-seven quarterback rating. Meanwhile, Baltimore finished with two quarterbacks with over a one forty-four, and they allowed a hundred and fifty yards after the catch. 150 after the catch. Does anybody know how to tackle? Anybody. At any point down there. And then the, the, the kicker, it touched off a series of events that has led to multiple players demanding a trade or flat-out release from the team because they don't trust this staff. 
Do you have any contacts like with Miami media? Is this like a valid? Is this a valid story that? That's played? a. Va- I think it's a valid story. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't you want out of there? <laughs> I mean, so Jesus, I could. You could, if listen. you're a real football player that wants to be a part of a like you know a team or culture like you Sean McDermott always like talks about. Football is a violent game. It's not for the faint of heart, and you have to go out there and put your body on the line every single week. And how many of those guys are making like really life changing money? And that's, that's not something that's talked about enough. No. And I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but if you're making like say five hundred grand, and you got all these people, that you are you going to lay it out off? for a coaching staff that you don't yeah. think has your best interest in mind? Yeah. Absolutely fucking not. Yeah, absolutely not. I've jumped ship. I've quit jobs because. Not because I wasn't making great money, Mighty but because Taco? I didn't. <laughs> Dude, did you work at Mighty Taco? I used to work at Mighty Taco. So yes. clear up a, a rumor I've heard. We use rat meat? No, there's no rat meat. Okay. Although the meat does look like Elpo, and yes, I did used to get yelled at because I took the time to strain the grease off the top. And they'd be like, you don't have time for that. Just get it I on the line. I appreciate that, though, man. That, was a, that was a hell of a burrito it's if like, I ever listen, went I'm to your gonna, I'm not going to put something out there that Which I Which location? Uh, the one on South Park. In Hamburg. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a North Town guy, so <laughs> uh, I never went there, but all right. But so ultimately, if you don't believe that these guys have it in their best interest, if they're not playing for you, the player, if the coaching staff doesn't have your best interest in mind, are you going to go put your body on the line every single week for these guys? No. Absolutely not. Meanwhile, we here in Buffalo, these guys are willing to, to take it to the limit for this team. Yeah, I think this could be probably the last time in your podcast this season where you have to talk about the Miami Dolphins. I hope so. I hope honestly, if soccer. Oh, actually, let me a ask loss like this: if soccer, like if relegation was a thing, I feel like that loss should relegate them back to college. That's fair. What would happen if the Bills lose one of these two games to the Dolphins this year? Oh, you don't. What would that post game experience be like? I need a beer. Okay. The fact that you even brought it up, <laughs> I'm opening another beer. And then in the other game in the AFC East, the New England. You got to work tomorrow. Listen, let's. Let's not split hairs. <laughs> the New England Patriots, they beat the Steelers 33-3. to yeah. I came home from the Bills game. We recorded our uh, post-game press conference. It's over on YouTube if you want to check out our channel. And I laid down on the couch, and I turned that game on, and I started to re-watch the Bills game just to see if in my, like, nine beers deep after the game I could let me rewatch this, see if I can calm myself down about some of the my preconceived notions about how it ended. I fell asleep after shortly after the Josh Gordon touchdown. I woke up and I saw 33 to 3 was the final score, and I was just like, Jesus Christ. Glad I missed that. Yeah. I watched a little bit of it. I was doing some work still uh, at a Buffalo Wild Wings in uh, New Jersey. Yeah, it's rough. It oh, rough. That's like the only thing that was open. And, you want to uh, talk about rat meat. <laughs> there you go. But I think, um, you know that uh, that um, gif? I call it gif. Some people say gif. You know that gif of Josh Allen where he's kind of like doing that little dance and like yeah. holding yes. a little L? I envision Antonio Brown doing that to the entire Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> sideline during that game because they did that to that team without Antonio Brown. So just imagine. And now like I'm just thinking ahead to... Week four and what that week is going to be like from a social media perspective, Ugh. from an actual game perspective. I mean, this is a cheat code. This is Kevin Durant going to the Warriors. Do you guys want my nuanced analysis? I'll give nuanced. it. To, I'll give it. I'll give it to both of you right here. My nuanced analysis of that game. 
Fuck the Patriots. Okay? That's it. That's all I have to say. Wash my hands of it. <laughs> and so with that, we are on to week two of the NFL season. The Buffalo Bills are going back to East Rutherford, to the scene of the crime. Did you just do like The Rock there? Maybe. That was awesome. <laughs> see, there's somebody in studio who gets to see the ridiculous things that I do. You did like the, the Rock like front dip where I, <laughs> yeah. if he had the skills, he probably would have thrown up, thrown up the people's eyebrow, but he, <laughs> he didn't go there. I respect all of what just happened. I was that dude back in the day. That after a big raw, where because I don't watch it anymore, like that 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 whole thing died when The Rock and Austin left. But when The Rock had a big night, a big win, or a big moment, I would ro- go up on the top of my couch and I would throw up that fucking right <laughs> arm. I would throw people's eyebrow out. Ah, oh, that dude. That was the dude. So I respect. The, I respect everything that just happened. Well, there. I appreciate that. We are on to week two: the Buffalo Bills against the New York Giants. Now I want to start this with a little bit of conversation. The last time these two teams saw each other, it was 2015. It was a home game. I was absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, confident. That after, I mean, we just got done beating the Dolphins 41-14. There's no way that we're losing to a 1-2 New York Giants team. I was so confident in that take that I bet one of... Uh, <laughs> his name is Switch... But I made a bet with our friend who is a hardcore Giants fan. We do a thing every winter. It's called the, uh, they call Polar it freezing. They call it freezing for a reason. And it's a charity to support the Special Olympics, mm-hmm. which is essentially the Polar Plunge out on Lake Ontario in Rochester. I could see you doing that. So I made the bet with him. We each back our squads, and the loser would wear a Speedo to that year's Polar Plunge. The Bills scored three points in the first three quarters. No one could tackle, and I ended up literally freezing some of my ass off. Because the day of the Polar Plunge play, not not only did the Bills lose, but then the day of the Polar Plunge, it was eight degrees Fahrenheit. The water froze. I didn't need a towel. The water froze on my body as I was coming out of it, walking towards the locker room. So this is a game that, I don't know, I just have a, to me, this is like a grudge match. This is, listen, you cost me something that I can never get back. I can never get that body hair back. I can never get that. That's actually what spawned my love of Speedos. So, for everyone else out there who's, yeah, I see Chris rubbing his eyes. For everyone who's mad about that, you have the Giants to blame for this. Mm. You should be rooting for the Giants. You should be rooting for the Bills against them even more because of that. This is a trap game. Oh, it absolutely is. I think everybody that put out a season predictions had this as a win with an exclamation point. Going away victory. And I saw tweets today. Where people said, "Oh, if the Bills don't win this by three scores, it's not a you know, it's it's I'm not going to be happy about it." Dallas, it was weird. Dallas didn't dominate them last week. No, like it was the the Giants. I think had over 400 yards of total offense. Like Saquon Barkley is the truth. Like this dude. Like here's the thing: Poyer, Taron Johnson, really great players. At times, they are a little bit spotty tacklers. So. 
if you do, if you have mistakes like that against Saquon Barkley, that's six points. Well, so if we're previewing this game, that's where we start. Is this, I, I call it the Saquon Barkley effect. Yeah. I went back and looked through last season's games because everyone likes to make fun of the Giants and about what a tire fire their team is. Here's something that nobody's talking about. The Giants had eight 100-yard rushing games. Barkley, had, he was personally responsible for 100 yards in seven of those. They had a 3-4 and four record in those seven games. Five of them were decided by five points or less. Mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley can literally run you to a close game. Yeah. And all it takes is the rest of the offense to pick up the slack. And that's lights out. Sterling Shepard is probably going to miss the game. He's in the concussion protocol, so that's something notable. Evan Ingram is really good. Um, but he's going to be the only real threat in their passing game. But here's the thing to know if you're looking ahead to this game. This is an improved offensive line who played really well against a really good defensive front last week. They went out and they got um, Kevin Zeitler from Cleveland. Yep. Was amazing against Dallas, and I think that's a guy... Until he hurt his shoulder. Yes, that's true. So <laughs> that's, something that's, that's something to consider. I mean, if you want to look at the injury report for this game, you're talking about... Usually that's where we start when we do these things. For Buffalo, it's the kick returner Andre Roberts. He's still questionable with that. You'd have to think he comes back. Maybe he comes back. Cornerback Teron Johnson, I don't know. They may play Did you go back and watch the whole game? What were your thoughts on fourth quarter Saran Neal? Fourth quarter Saran Neal worried me a little bit. Okay. Worried me a little bit. I think that maybe he'll find... I mean, that's his first time ever having to play that position. Did third quarter Saran Neal not worry you? I thought he did better. Okay. I thought he got worse as the game went on. Oh, okay. All right. Now, do you disagree? No, I've not gone back and watched the entire second half yet. Okay. He, I thought he was better early on than he okay. was later. But with that said, Teron Johnson, considering what an important part of his defense he is, they may slow play with him. Yeah. For the Giants, you're talking about Sterling Shepard in the concussion protocol and Kevin Zeitler with a shoulder injury. Now, these are two of the spots where they can't afford any injuries. Right. If you're the Giants. Now, the Saquon Barkley effect, you know, we were talking about it. He gets his yards, but he's the thing, he's the straw that stirs the drink for this team. Mm-hmm. My question to you, when, you, when it comes to the wide receiving and pass catching department, if you have a football team that has no credible NFL wide receivers on it, does it become a rugby team? <laughs> does it become a rugby team? Do you know what's funny? I've covered Christian Wade all summer. And I still don't really know the nuances of rugby. So, dude, you see now, because we have listeners in Australia. Yeah. Oh, dude. Because we have listeners in Australia, I've started getting up at 3. Here it's 3.15 in the morning on Saturdays. And I watch the Queensland's Reds. The Queensland Reds play rugby. I So when I first met you, I had some questions. And now after a whole podcast, I have a lot more. <laughs> That should be the correct response. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. I like I like being on the edge of my seat. You keep people on the edge of their seat a little bit. You start throwing some all types of weird stuff out there. My wife tells me all the time, there's never a dull moment. And I don't know if she's saying that as a positive thing or a negative thing. But who gives a shit? We're here doing a podcast. But in all seriousness, the passing game of the New York Giants... I mean, you look at the wins that they've gotten in the games when Saquon Barkley does his job and gets the yards that when you look at his talent level, he's 
he's always in line to get yardage. He's always in line to impact a football game. He's a he's a premier talent in the NFL. So with that, when you look at the other side of the ball, you know, the, the the passing threats, you know, the, what they have to make the rest of the offense work, it's something of a work in progress. Especially when you consider everything that's happened. I mean, when I look at this, I look at their depth chart and I say, okay, OBJ traded to the Browns. Corey Coleman torn ACL. He's on the IR. Sterling Shepard is now in the concussion protocol. Golden Tate is suspended. <laughs> Darius Slayton, this speedster rookie of theirs, he has a hamstring issue. I mean, Chris, I feel like Lloyd Christmas at this point. I've had it with this dump. We've got no food. We've got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. That's what their offensive coordinator must be just yelling throughout the offices at this point. What they do have going for him is the fact that Saquon Barkley's presence opens up a lot of the passing game from him. Defenses have no choice but to account for him, and it allows them to kind of take advantage of that. When you look at the game against the Cowboys, to your point, they moved the football. Eli Manning was 68%, 300-plus yards, and a touchdown. That Could you imagine if Josh Allen put up that stat line? I'll take you a little bit deeper into these waters. 33 of their 44 pass attempts were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, and they only had five incompletions. Okay? Their average depth of target was just 6.6 yards per pass. Well, that plays into your point from earlier, if the Bills can tackle. That's it. Tight end Evan Ingram, 14 targets, nine of them were inside of 10 yards. When you look at, when you look at the way that their offense is designed at this point, this is what they're built to do. They are going to suck you in to trying to stop Saquon Barkley. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to throw, just try to tuck it in behind your linebackers. Because right now, they don't have anything. When you look at their... What are you you talking about? When you look at They have David Sills the fifth. (laughs) They can call him up from the practice squad. When you look at their wide receiver group right now, they're going to come into Sunday. Okay, so if Sterling Shepard were to play, this is what you're talking about. They have one rookie, and then they have three players, Benny Fowler, Marcus Latimer, and Russell Shepard, who have five years of experience. Only Sterling Shepard has more than 600 yards or three touchdowns in a single season in their career. The rest of these guys are Jags. They're just another guys. That's, that's all they are. They're bodies out there running around, running routes. There is no one special in their passing game. It all comes down to how this defense handles that rushing attack. Because if you overcommit, that's where you get yourself in trouble. Yeah, we'll learn a little bit more about everything that's happening on this Buffalo defense next week. I think one of the big question marks going in was their consistent ability to stop the run. I thought that that was one of the keys to this season was them improving in that area of the game. Because if you go back, I'll just take one game for instance. Indianapolis last year when that trio of running backs just gouged them. And yeah. I thought that's something that can't happen once this season because that's the kind of – I think it's a mentality. I think it's like uh, that kind of – like you talked about the straw that stirs the drink. Well, this defense is the straw that stirs this drink. And if, that, if there's a kind of a chink in the armor, I think that it's almost something that can flood out into other areas of the team. And they have to show – they're paying Starla Tulele a lot of money. Okay, 
So don't even get me started. Uh oh. Opened up uh yeah, opened up say. something there. Opened up a little cut. Do you want to hear me cuss? Just just bring up Starlet Two away again. He seemed to play alright last week. <laughs> alright. Either way, I get what you're saying. I understand this, and you're right. It's gonna be a lot for our defense to police, even though fans out there seem to think this is just gonna be a walkthrough. So do this for me. I'm looking into matchups next week. What is your matchup? versus Saquon Barkley? Is it Tremaine Edmonds? Is it Ed Oliver or Starr? What's what's the matchup that you feel needs to be won by the Bills to contain him? Give me three minutes to chew on it. Okay. I'm going to have you an answer. Because right now I want to talk about the New York Giants defense. Okay. This is where they things... They suck. Well, <laughs> so this is it. The 2018 Giants defense, fucking terrible when you look at wins and losses. But when you look through the wreckage of that, what you end up with is that, I don't know, it goes a a certain distance towards explaining what happened. They have a very young secondary. Last year, they were 23rd in pass yards, 27th in yards per attempt, 25th in first downs allowed, 28th in rushing touchdowns allowed, 20th in rushing yards allowed. In 11 games where they allowed more than 100 yards rushing, and four of them with 150. One of the things when I go over all these game charts and I look over the statistics, the Giants were terrible on defense, especially against the run. Now, base defense, quote-unquote base defense, that's a term that people throw around a lot. It's generally speaking to whether you're out there in your standard 3-4, your standard 4-3, but either way... When you look at a base defense, there's more linebackers on the field. It's it's basically consisting of linebackers and defensive linemen. That's where you have your heavy personnel in. Those are the guys who traditionally are very good at stopping the run. Last season, according to the percentages, just because of injuries or ineffectiveness, the Giants had to play 86% of their snaps with at least five defensive backs on the field. You get run over that way. But that's their defensive coordinator's style. That's how he likes to roll. So what they did was they had a youth movement. They overturned most of that part of their roster. And they've got a lot of young kids coming in there. I mean, they lost Landon Collins. He was probably one of the best safeties in that division, if not one of the top ten in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Then you take a look at it. They take a cornerback in the first round, in the fourth round, and the sixth round of this year's draft and kept an undrafted free agent on the roster. They're flooding the field with this. And when you look at their performance last week, it still wasn't good because they're young kids. They're better against the run. They got to play more base defense, but it didn't help them. They have no pass rush. No pass rush. None. They traded um, Olivier Vernon to get uh, Seitler, which is fine. But what's even more... Something that I feel like if I'm Brian Dable, my eyes are just like this. You can't see that on the on podcast. <laughs> you made a visual joke on the radio. Yeah, That's fucking my awesome. eyes were really open. <laughs> they, Randall Cobb, owned them last week for Dallas. First of all, big play after big play in the past game. Dak Prescott looked like uh, Joe Montana out there. But look at the stats. They allowed two wide receivers to have 100-yard games. Four completions of more than 25 yards. Yeah. So that tells me that in a man defense or a zone defense, nobody's doing their job. I don't care what scheme you're running. If you give up that many chunk yardage plays, you guys are failing. Yeah. 
Janoris Jenkins isn't very good. I think John Brown could have a huge game. I think Cole Beasley could have one of those, you know, 15 target type of games that we're talking about throughout training camp and really start to, you know, impose his will a little bit. This is a confidence builder. Last week, Sean McDermott called that game a resume builder for Josh Allen. I think this is the type of game that could be a confidence builder and can really set up a situation where you potentially can go 3-0 and into that New England Patriots game. And I'm telling you right now, let me just pose this to you right now. I'm just thinking about it. Because like, that's what I'm doing. I'm always thinking about stories, how this thing's going to, like, the building blocks here. What is this city going to be like? When's the last time? <laughs> if the Bills go 4-0 and beat the Patriots in that, in that home game, I was what is the city going to be like I after that? I was at the last game where the Bills beat the Patriots. I was there. I was in attendance. I was there with my ex-girlfriend. And she was being a massive, she was being a massive the whole game. And at the same time, I, I didn't care. I didn't care because things were going my way. Nothing mattered. Nothing mattered at the end of that game. We drank in the parking lot. She hated me for every second of it. And I didn't give a shit because life was good. We just beat the Patriots. I was in a bar in Atlanta, Bill's Backers Bar, Hudson Grill in Midtown. And uh, some girl at the bar... Uh, kick went in. Uh, Ryan Lindell made that kick. She started jumping, jumped on this guy. They fell to the ground. She tore her ACL. Oh my god! I thought this was going to go in a much more sexual yeah, direction. Say, you you just brought this to a dark place. Yeah. No, she tore ACL. She was on she was on crutches the rest of the season, and then you know we're I think what we was eleven we went, after five and yeah, two we, went we five, just missed yeah, the playoffs. Yeah, five and two we shut out the red we shut out the Redskins in Toronto, and I'm standing on a high top bar wearing an actual Bills helmet, swinging someone's crutch in the air like we're going to the Super Bowl, and the cops are telling me to get off the table, and I'm telling them to shut up. Chris, let's be honest, that might be the ballsiest you've ever been in your entire life. But so with that, Matt, you're not wrong, and that brings us to this week's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. Damn straight, more powerful the man. Right now, last week, I was... Chris, can we call it three for three? Uh, you were pretty good. I remember... Uh, Vedvik! The, the, I called Vedvik sucking ass. Yeah, the, you... I will hang my you, head on that. Yes, you said we should try to force him to field goals because a brand new kicker... He in, hasn't in, had much time in with the holder. Minnesota. He was here the last preseason He's got game. the yips. Missed, Let that kid Missed kick. kicks... <laughs> they missed the extra point, missed a 45-yarder. And, and then, what do you know? We win by one. And when you're winning by one, and the, 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 the you can't underscore this enough, when you're winning by one, and I wish I'd brought this up when we were talking about the Jets game, when you're down by one point, don't you just you, – we watched, we watched last night the New Orleans Saints tried to get in field goal range to kick the game-winning field goal. And they trusted that their field goal kicker could get it done from 58 yards, even though his career long was 57. Right. And he did it. And he came through for him. They were shooting for the, the highest percentage thing to happen. Because Hail Marys don't work, unless you're Aaron Rodgers and you're playing Detroit, which it happens all the time. With that said, they were so shaken in their confidence with Vedvik that when the game was on the line... With a minute to go, their mentality wasn't, we just need to get into field goal range. Their mentality was, we have to air it out, and then when there's no time left, we have to lateral our way to a win. And that blew up in their faces. But, so with, but Adam Gase doesn't remember why he decided to move on from the kicker. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't season. remember. He doesn't know. It's convenient. 
So with that said, this week's keys to victory, the first one, to your point, keeping Josh Allen clean and it's trying to get that passing game going. Because that young secondary, they're going to be susceptible to a lot. We have some savvy veteran wide receiver talent out there. Cole Beasley. I think he will rebound, even though I motherfucked him during the last game. <laughs> John Brown, I... Th- John Brown, what can you say about the guy? He showed what he is. He's pretty sure-handed. He's a reliable downfield target. If you put the ball where it's within his catch radius, he's probably going to come up with it. His speed allows him to get away with a lot. This young secondary hasn't seen much, considering they only have one pro game under their belts. This is a game where, if anything... You play action your way to a win. You, you, you want to throw the house in terms of the passing offense at them because that's how you're going to make your bread and butter. And do you argue with that? No. I think um, you're looking at this secondary like we talked about. It is, you know, they are ripe for the picking. Uh, I think Josh Allen should have a clean pocket. I think, you know, that, that Jets defensive line I think is a little bit underrated. I mean, they, they, they have the ability to bring some pressure. Except and for I, Henry Anderson. He only brings the pressure after the snap. Yeah, Fuck yeah. that guy. Fuck. If I could have made him the loser of the game, I would have. That's fair. Scumbag. Yeah, I saw that play yesterday. You, you never want to see that. Uh, but went to Stanford. I thought those guys were upstanding citizens. You'd like to think so. Um, but, no, I think um, from an offensive perspective, talk about the key to the game. I think it's... It's getting Cole Beasley involved early and often, mm-hmm. and you hope that he kind of turns in a, a Carolina-like performance a little bit more so than a, <laughs> a Jets-like performance because, you know, those mistakes can't happen. And, and I don't know, I didn't pay a ton of attention to him in, in his Dallas career. I don't know if either of you guys did. Was he Who, pro? He's a small white receiver on a team that I can't stand. My middle name is Dallas. Do you know how much shit I took during the 90s? Wow. Oh, it was fucking ridiculous. Did you ever play the board game? No. Oh. No. And play- if I had, I would have played it like Kevin from The Office. I would have stolen the money and ran. Okay. Um... You're right. That's what I know that game from is The Office. I really – I like this podcast more that you had to um, Dwight Dwight lines on here. So that's great. Um, no, I think Holby's has got to, got to make an impact. And um, I know I get, I get – we were talking about getting called out for being a fanboy. I think Zay Jones gets, gets a bad rap. Like I, I think that he does a lot of – I'd agree with that. I think he does a lot of good things. And I think even last, last week I don't think it's being talked about enough that he made a clutch play in the fourth quarter when really that catch was big. His role has been completely reworked. Yes. I mean, they're asking him to go out there and he's played put his, the Robert Woods role that Robert Woods played when he was here, which was not to be a primary receiver. It was to be a run blocker, yeah. to be a, a member of the supporting cast. And all and and most of my mentions, Zay Jones related, are. Wanting to run the guy out of town. And look what happened with Robert Woods when they did that. Like, yep. The guy's only entering his 30. That's another point on Josh Allen that we didn't get to earlier that I definitely want to bring up before we get out of here is the vehemence, the vehemence in which I defend him is the fact that we just want to rush to an evaluation. We want to rush to a, a, de- a declaration mm-hmm. on a player. And with Josh Allen, I think we've seen enough to say that, you know what, he's still a work in progress. He still might be something. He still might not be something. He might be bad. But 
we don't know yet. And anybody that wants to sit there and tell you that they know definitively, whether it be, you know, Jeff, whatever his name is on Twitter, the guy that the former offensive lineman who thinks that Josh Allen. Jeff Schwartz. Uh, Jeff G- Schwartz. G- Jeff off? Schwartz. Hang on. No, or he's even, G-off. He or, doesn't get to be Jeff. Or, or even Adam Shane. <laughs> who is Spell it right. Who is absolutely oh, drinking that Kool-Aid, the oh, yeah. Josh Allen Kool-Aid. Either way, I don't think that you can be on either of those pedestals at this point because you just don't know, and it's okay because the kid's only 23. Thank you. Okay. So with that, they have a they have a legitimate opportunity to take another step forward as a passing offense. I mean, right now we're being talked about as one of the, quote-unquote, high, highest passing offenses in football, which I never saw coming from a Buffalo Bills team ever. So we have that going. We could lean into that this week and really do ourselves a favor. And the other side of the coin to me is our linebackers and strong safeties against Saquon Barkley. Now, we just got done talking about their win percentage when Saquon Barkley does his job. When you look at Ravion Bell's production this past week, we held him to 3.5 yards per carry. And he only had three gains of more than 10 yards. Meanwhile, seven of his 17 rushing attempts were for zero or negative yardage. And they did that while being assignment sound. So what that means is that while the middle of our defense is taking care of the running back, everyone else, you don't have extra cornerbacks getting in. You have safeties who are still patrolling the back end and not allowing on the rare occasion that they may run a play action. Nobody's giving up ground. We're keeping everything in front of us, which is what this defense is built to do. You're going to need that in spades this week. To your point, people who are saying that this game should be a runaway are out of their fucking minds because this offense could just run the ball down our throat. It's on the, It's going to be the defense, once again, to be the straw that stirs the drink, specifically our linebackers and safeties. That defensive line is going to do what they have to do. The Giants' offensive line is okay. They're, they're improved from last year. But they're not world beaters. They're not the Cowboys. Right. So with that said, they're gonna ha- they're gonna be clean most of the time to make plays, and it's gonna be on them to hem Saquon Barkley in. Because if you throw the house at Barkley, that's when the Giants' offense lets loose with all these short area high high completion percentage passes behind your linebackers, behind your cornerbacks, and they take off down the field on you. I think the advantage that Buffalo has going into this game is the coaching matchup, and I think that Sean McDermott knows everything that you just said and is going to make sure that that's a point of emphasis this week. I'll actually be looking forward to talking to him tomorrow morning, and I'll ask him that. Fantastic. So, first of all, your prediction, and second of all, where can we find that? Uh, I will have my prediction Saturday morning, early afternoon. There we go. At nyupinsyracuse.com. <laughs> Lining me up. Shameless plug. Love it. Um, <laughs> but, no, I want to get through the week and, and listen to some of this, this sound and, and talk and talk to some of these guys. But, listen, man, Dak threw for 400 yards last, year, last week. Josh Allen's got to throw for 300 yards in this game. I mean, this defense, this secondary is not good. That's a bold prediction. I, I, think, I think this has got to be the first 300-yard game. We're seeing steps, right? And I know this might be a, 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 a very big step, but to go last, this last week, people, I think I had some comments, were like, really? That was his first 250-plus-yard passing game. I know. The opener. So you're going up against a secondary that is going to be in the mix for one of the five worst in the league, in my opinion. That's safe, that safety combo 
is some trash. I'm sorry. It's they're all rookies. They're, yeah. they, they just literally flooded the field with guys who are inexperienced. I mean, Jabril Peppers. I don't think he's very good. No, he's, he's not a rookie. punt returner. What? What's that? He's a punt returner. Yeah, <laughs> for the he Browns. Pepper. I don't know. Peppers. They is, traded him. Peppers he's part of the trade. Yeah. Jabril, Jabril Peppers is with the Giants now. He yeah. was in the Odell trade. And this yeah. is why Chris is the producer, folks. What I say? Yeah, I said. You said brought up Jabril Peppers, and I said, yeah, he's just a punt returner. That's all he's going to do for the Giants. Yeah. yeah. They put him back there. He's their starting safety, but he doesn't do much. And no, he's not very he good. return kicks. It's, it's brutal. And I guess I see where you're coming from in terms of this should be Allen's coming out party. I don't give a shit about that. Here's my prediction. My prediction is... Uh, I don't. Well, here's what I don't want to see. What I don't want to see is them lean into what the Giants did. On the, I mean, the Cowboys did on the ground. They ever did with Ezekiel Elliott. Now, mind you, some of it could be Russ, some of it could be. I mean, Tony Pollard was in there too. They averaged just 2.9 yards per carry. Right. The rushing attack didn't get it done. And when you figure the Cowboys have one of the best offensive lines in football, that's a problem. So, with that, you may be right. This may be completely on Josh Allen's shoulders, which is why I'm predicting a very close game. I think Allen's going to have his high moments, he's going to have some low moments. You're going to see some of what you saw in this Jets game where he makes questionable decisions. You're going to get that because it's still who he is at this point in his career. Maybe there's an upward trajectory from here, but I don't think he clears it in one week. With that, I think the Bills still win because I think our defense is better than theirs. If you go around the roster, positionally we are better than they are in 9 out of 10 places. Right. So we should come away with a win, but I still think that this is another field goal victory that we just barely squeak out. I'm going to call this one 24-21. You know, I think we, we talked about it during the game with um, Ryan Lacell and Icy Vic and Damparello at Batavia Downs. And uh, I think Damparello had brought it up that the Giants were actually favored by three, which because home field advantage. Now, according to my Yahoo Sports app, we're favored by a point and a half with over under at 43 and a half. So the line has shifted. Has, has shifted. I think I, th- I do think we're going to win this game. We're not going to blow them out like what I said last week. Yeah, you predicted yeah. a blowout. How, how stupid did you feel? I mean, we were we were moving. Boo! We were moving Boo! the ball. Wait, you predicted that they were going to blow out the Jets? Blow yeah. Out. Honestly, if you look at the final the final game book, Don't encourage it! I'm just saying, if you look at the game book, I mean, they should have. Yes. <laughs> they should have won by three touchdowns. I yes. mean, if you look at the game book. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we can beat the Giants. If Josh doesn't throw that pick, <laughs> they score eight points. Yeah. Chris. No. I think we beat the Giants uh, 21-13. Wow, you guys are throwing out scores. I'll put out a score. All right. I'm going to go... I'm going to go... 34-21. Wow. Buffalo. Jesus. Well, yeah. We I just, thought he was crazy. No, well, you just How said that. How many heads have you had, sir? Just, uh, You're questioning me. We were just saying he thinks Allen's going to throw to 300 yards. Yeah. yeah. That's true. I mean, we came out throwing last week. We can do the same thing in the metal lane. And I think that the, a big a big key this week is what Micah talked in the, in the, in the room after the game. They didn't force any turnovers last week. I think they'll force a couple turnovers this week, give Josh Allen a short field, and that's when the magic happens. <laughs> Well, we should hope. Guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We got to get out of here. But, Matt, where can the people find your work and where can they find you on social media? All right. So I'm at nyupinsyracuse.com. I'm pretty sure that's three, that's three uh, 
Shameless plugs. Uh, Get all yeah. the plugs out that you need. To. All, all my uh, all my work, all of Ryan Talbot, my tag team partner's work, is always over there at the site. Uh, we're on all the social media platforms. The best place to follow me is at Matt Prino on Twitter. Uh, we'll always have some fun conversation and you know all types of digital, video, audio, fun. All right, guys. You heard it here. We got to get out of here because I've had six beers without taking a piss. So yeah. it's go time. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's been Matt Perino. And this has been the Rockpile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.